Good evening and welcome back to Amandla here on CQT 90.3 FM in Montreal, cqt.ca around the world. And just to remind you, we have a couple of volunteers who very wonderfully keep our blog up and going for us, and that features the best of Amandla. So please do visit it, and that is at cqt.ca slash Amandla. Land as commons versus land as commodity. These are two fantastically opposed conceptions of land and constitute an arena of struggle that dates back centuries in many parts of the world. It certainly was a core aspect of colonialism in some parts of Africa, but the reality is much of Africa's lands are still governed by customary laws, something the World Bank seems intent on dismantling through its so-called enabling the business of agriculture project. To talk about this, we're joined tonight on the phone by Frédéric Mousseau, Policy Director of the Oakland Institute and author of the recent report, The Highest Bidder Takes It All, The World Bank's Scheme to Privatize the Commons. Frédéric, welcome back to Amandla. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be in the program. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. You've kind of, as I said it to the introduction of the show, I have to say you've kind of become our go-to guy when it comes to land grabbing in Africa. So it's wonderful to be able to touch base with you uh, every once in a while. So let's just dive right in with the so-called EBA or the enabling of the business of agriculture. What is that? So it's a project that was started in 2013. Uh, it, it was actually requested by the, the G8 and specifically the US, UK, and the, the, Gates, uh, the Gates Foundation. So it was requested uh, to the World Bank to put in place a new project that will encourage agribusiness investment in the developing world and especially in Africa. So the, the World Bank developed this program, which is basically ranking countries all over the world uh, on a set of indicators on how well they uh, they put in place reforms and laws and policies that encourage foreign investment in agriculture and large-scale agriculture and agribusiness. So it's um, it's a ranking that uh, gives country, every country will get scores on these indicators, and depending on the scores they get, uh, they will uh, they will be uh, more or less favored in terms of international aid and investment. So it's a, it's a system of soft conditionality where donor countries ask countries to reform, and according to the reform, they will get these scores, and they will depending on this scores, they will get a certain amount of aid and, uh, and uh, support. Okay. Well, I think it's important to look at those indicators then because. Uh, uh, clearly, they they have a lot of clout. So, what what are the indicators? Well, there are twelve of them. They look at uh, different aspects of agriculture, including seeds, uh, seeds laws, uh, laws on uh, on import and exports. There's a uh, uh, one on machinery, one on uh, uh, different types of laws regulating agriculture, and the the, the one. We, on which we reported in this last report in January, specifically on, on land. It comes after one we did last year, which was uh, looking at the, at the seed report and which looked already at how the, the, the World Bank was encouraging countries to open their seed markets to Western corporations. Mm-hmm. Uh, now with land, it's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. As, as you said, it, it's, 
it really uh, goes aggressively against something which is essential to the livelihood of billions of people around the world, which is their, their land and the commons. Okay, well, yes, indeed, I think it really comes to the crux of the matter. So when land becomes an indicator, what is it? What, what does that mean? <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's very troubling because... Well, the, I mean, we, we know the World Bank has been behind a lot of this uh, push for foreign investment in agriculture over the past uh, decade, and especially the last decade where we've seen this uh, global land rush with many corporations going into, uh, into the global south to develop biomole plantations and all kinds of, uh, kind of industrial agriculture large-scale projects. With this land, uh, land indicator, the, the bank... Uh, goes after this, what you said in the introduction, the, the fact that most of the land, especially, uh, especially in Africa, is still under customary land laws, meaning that uh, most of the land is not private. It belongs to communities who, manages, who manage the land collectively uh, in, a, in a traditional way. So there's no, uh, no concept of private property of land among uh, most of most of Africa and, uh, and a large part of the developing world in general, and uh, what uh, what the bank says is this uh, this what they say in their in their document is the lack of clarity on on land ownership mm. is a constraint for investors. So they want to tackle these constraints by uh, transforming this public land or private or, or customary land into private titles that can be uh, that can be uh, transferable that can be sold can be mortgaged uh, and also there's a big push in this indicator for uh, all the land that is under public law like in Canada you have I think 90% of your of your land is uh, considered public which is a, a, for Africa for instance it's uh, in countries like uh, like Congo it's officially the same something like 90 plus percent mm-hmm. of the land is under uh, state control but in the in practice uh, the the land is managed by the people by the collectivity by the tribes by the, the, the clans by the communities and the, the bank wants to change that Okay, so how are they proposing going about that? Because I guess really in the end, ultimately what you're talking about is, pri- is massive privatization of land. Yeah, exactly. They, so they've, well, they, you really, it's, it, it, was, it was challenging to do this work because you have to, to read between the lines and, uh, and sometimes between the lies mm-hmm. because the bank, always talks about securing land tenure, mm-hmm. about increasing equity and justice. But the way that, that when they say, oh, we need to increase land tenure, they say, oh, we need to, to provide private titles to the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, many people under customary land laws have secured tenure. But uh, for, the, for the bank and their, their main donor supporters, uh, this is not considered as secured tenure. So what they what they what they advocate for and what they prescribe really with, uh, with this new land indicator is a set of reforms. So they have five different um, uh, sectors or, or elements they, they they will push. The first one is about uh, 
what I've just said, promoting private titles, creating private titles for land. So encouraging governments to put in place systems that will give private titles to the people. Mm -hmm. The second one is about uh, facilitating, encouraging the lease of the sale of land. So uh, once these private titles have been given, we need systems where uh, they, 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 they have this... Uh, this uh, expression of creating land markets. Mm -hmm. So they really want these private titles to be on a market and then be governed by, uh, by uh, the market laws. So that's, uh, that's the second one. They also, and this is one of the most shocking of the, of the prescriptions, they, they also ask governments to put in place systems for systematizing the sale of public land by auction to the to the highest bidder. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we all know who the highest bidder is going to be in a system like this of public auction. Exactly. We, we can easily guess, especially when we're talking about countries. I was recently in Congo. Uh, it's sure that uh, the local communities I visited were very strongly attached to their land are not going to are not going to be able to to, to bid anything on the, on the land that yeah. they've been using for generations. Yeah. And and lastly, and that's again in their terminology, something about uh, ensuring fairness and equity. They say, oh, we need to improve procedures for expropriation. Uh, and this sounds good, but uh, what what they have in the in the indicator that basically suggests that we need to to be able to expropriate farmers from their land and uh, and to do it uh, in in a proper way so that uh, there's uh, some kind of proper process followed. But uh, again, this is this is shocking when you think of of the of the world the world vision when they when they talk about fairness and equity for expropriation, which is uh, which really raises the question: Why should anyone be expropriated uh, in the in the first place? Yeah. Well, one of the things that really in this whole scheme here that stood out for me in your report was this notion of making land a transferable asset, and you spend a fair amount of time in the report talking about what that actually means uh, and you draw parallels with farmers around the world in Australia and the United States. So can you just briefly explore what the implications are of turning land into transferable assets? Uh, of course, yeah, that's that's a big one, and and yes, we do have ex uh, we do have examples every day, everywhere, not just in Africa, but mm -hmm. we in the so-called developed world where we have made land transferable assets. We do see farmers losing their land to to banks or to uh, vulture farms, as it was the case recently in uh, in Ireland. Uh, and uh, basically, transferable asset is uh, in, again, it's, it comes from. Uh, 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 development discourse, and they, they are very good at, at putting, in, putting putting together narratives that sound very good. So they say, oh, f for farmers to be able to invest, they need to be able to have titles on their land, and then with the, these titles, they can go to the bank and mortgage this uh, mortgage their land, and so they will have uh, money from the bank, so they can invest. Uh, but they, they don't say that they may also not be able to, to pay their debt and then be forced to, to, to sell their land. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they don't say that by creating land markets, you, you could have also um, speculation and, and suddenly land becoming a commodity where farmers and the rural poor are going are gonna to lose their, their, 
this this asset because they, they made it uh, they made it transferable. So in the discourse, it looks like good things so people can invest and have mortgage and invest. But at, at the end of the day, what and it is also when you again you read the different portions of the of their of their documents and policy documents and prescriptions uh, they do say also uh, they do say it's about securing land and encouraging investment and allowing farmers to invest but they do say also that uh, farmers should be able to exit agriculture if they if they need to or if they wish to which means that uh, people who can't afford to pay for the for for this asset or to pay for their mortgage will will have to to, to exit agriculture, basically to be expropriated and lose their land. Yeah. You know, uh, Frederic, I was just a couple of months ago, I was in Malawi, and, you know, it's so clear that access to land is really one of the only buffers to a global economy that serves Malawians and others so, so poorly. And you see it, whether it's farmers, teachers, nurses, doctors, school principals, you name it, everybody is growing their own food. And it is the one, it just, it just keeps them one step ahead from a potentially desperate situation. So, you know, they may have a nine to five job, but they're up at four going to their field to grow that food that's going to allow them to hopefully keep their kids alive and healthy and themselves and all of that. It just seems unimaginable to move towards a system where that one little buffer against a global system gets taken away from them. Totally, totally, and uh, it's uh, it's an essential. I mean, it's the only thing people have in many many parts of the world, the world and it's what really sustains billions around the world. It's uh, also interesting if you've been to Malawi uh, that in southern Africa, as in still in many parts of Africa, uh, you do have millions of farmers struggling to survive on their small piece of land, mm -hmm. and next to them you still have large farms which are controlled by uh, white men or former uh, former uh, colonialists who have kept their who have kept their land and we see that in Malawi with large Absolutely. plantations, tea plantations. Tea, yep. exactly mm. uh, we see that in South Africa uh, we see that in mm -hmm. Zambia we see that in many countries or in Kenya where the, the large landowners in Kenya are still uh, white men who are sometimes Kenyans, but who, are, uh, who, who have this, this control of the land. And because of the colonial history, uh, m m this large land holding have kept the, the native population on smaller uh, portions of the, yeah. of the land and quite often infertile without access to water and so on. And so I, I raise this because the World Bank could uh, could deal with this problem, which is still pretty much there, which is uh, and, uh, something that has been inherited from the, the colonization. But of course, they don't. They, they, they never talk about land reform or, or no. allowing farmers to get access to this land that was taken from their ancestors. And instead, they want to, to continue the process. And it is really the continuation of this. Uh, imperialist and colonization process that we see at play with this new project. Well, yes. I mean, it's land redistribution in the wrong direction. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I should not love because it, no, it, is, it, it is very scary. And it is very scary that 
some of the largest powers, I mean, the U.S., the U.K., uh, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have decided, the three of them, to finance the World Bank mm-hmm. to do such a program that prescribe all the countries around the world what to do to privatize their land and make it available for uh, for their investors and, uh, and corporations. Yeah. Well, you and I always manage to talk about resistance before we wrap up uh, our time together on air, and it's always very important. And the, your report is great about talking about how this is a struggle and it's not one one way or the other by any stretch of the imagination. So perhaps let's end on that. Can you talk about some of the initiatives, um, and some of them successful, to, uh, to resist this movement? But first, we, we have to, to recognize that this is happening because of resistance. Yeah. This is happening because we've seen uh, since, uh, since 2008, 2009, when this big land rush started, we've seen many uh, communities and activists around the world resisting the takeover of their land by corporations and foreign countries. And uh, with this... Uh, uh, customary land tenures in place, they had all the rights to, uh, to, to say that this is our ancestral land and we want to keep it. We don't want you to come and, and, uh, and, and take it over. So this, this whole project starts because there is resistance. It, it starts because many around the world don't recognize this idea that uh, land should be privatized like water and this is going to be the way for development. Many say it is essential for us and they are, and they are fighting back everywhere. So we do have in our work at the, the Oakland Institute, we do have many, many examples of communities, uh, communities fighting back and resisting the takeover of their land. And, and I, I will add also that we, we published this report in uh, early uh, 2019, a few months ago, in advance of the release of the new uh, EBA report that was supposed to be released in January, February. And we are in June, and, uh, and the World Bank hasn't mm. released a new report. And our understanding is that uh, they may, uh, and we see what's going to happen, but they, they may take this, uh, our report and our questions into account, and we really look forward to see what they're going to say next because we really uh, put serious questions to their whole uh, approach and methodology. So uh, one, uh, one effect uh, of, in terms of resistance is also that we, we can counter what they are trying to do. Mm-hmm. We have many allies. We have a whole campaign with 280 organizations who are opposing this system, who are farmer groups, uh, unions, NGOs, community-based organizations from really from all over the world who are all standing and saying to the World Bank, no, we don't want this to happen. So we, uh, we're standing with them and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll keep controlling this uh, nefarious project of the bank. Indeed. Listen, we have a couple of minutes left. Can you just very quickly give, throw out a concrete example? In the report, there's the, the example in one of the Maasai communities. Can you talk about that very briefly? Yeah, of course. The, we, we've seen in Tanzania with the Maasai, we've seen very successful examples of communities uh, getting together to have their 
customary land rights as collective rights of, of, uh, over the land recognized by law. And uh, the, the Maasai's like this have, uh, have been able to secure pretty large areas of land under their customary land rights. And this land is, uh, by law can be sold or, or mortgaged or, or, or transformed in whatever the, the, the bank uh, is trying to do. And we see these kind of initiatives in many, many parts of the, of the world, in, uh, in, uh, in Africa, but also in, uh, in Latin America. And uh, this is really one of the big uh, arguments that have been put by us and, and many others against the, against the bank is that we, we should recognize collective rights. We should recognize that land is not just something that can be a commodity and put into a market. Mm -hmm. We want to be able, as communities, as people, to manage our resources, land and water, all the, the essential resources for us. We should be able to manage them collectively without putting them as commodities to be, uh, to be sold on the market. So, yes, Tanzania, Mali, many, many parts of, uh, of, the, of the world today, and quite a lot also as a response to this push to privatize, are, are developing systems that uh, formalize uh, property rights in a different way, which mm -hmm. is not about pro private property, but which is about collective property and collective control and ownership of land. Very nice, Frédéric Mousseau. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll be in touch down the road to see how this uh, plays itself out. It was a pleasure. I'll keep you updated, or you can also follow the updates on this campaign uh, on our website at oaklandinstitute.org. Merci, bonne soirée. Merci beaucoup. Au revoir, à bientôt. Bye-bye.